Welcome to week six of our series, God Has a Name, inspired by Pastor John Mark Comer's book. Now, last week, Pastor Beth talked to us about God's faithfulness. It's a great message, especially for those of us who are still waiting and hoping for God to act on our behalf. If you missed it, or you want to watch it again, you can access it via Church at Home on YouTube. Let's remind ourselves of the key Bible passage we are studying together. Exodus 34 says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of generations and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Is there a question in the back of your mind as there is in mine about the end of that passage? I mean, I love the first bit. Even the middle bit's okay, but what's with God punishing children? Well, hang around, we'll find out. To be honest, this scripture has troubled me for a while. So having spent some time this week looking into it, I'm pleased to share my discoveries with you today. Okay, first the bad news. We don't get to pick and choose the bits of the Bible we want. If we edit the Bible according to current culture, or our own bias, we just get a God who is simply a projection of our own mind. And that's not who God is. He's not a kindly uncle who will say whatever you want and let you do whatever you please. And now the good news. The aspect of God we are glimpsing today is amazing. And it will ring true with your heart when we see it. Yahweh might not look exactly how we want him to look at first, but as we look deeper into his character, we begin to see he is so much more than we think. So let's review a few of the statements in Exodus 34 that have been allocated to us today. At the end of the passage, it says, God maintains love to thousands of generations. Beth mentioned last week that in the original Hebrew language, this speaks of God's hesed, his covenant love, a deep, abiding, faithful love. But it also says God is maintaining his love. That's not a soft and gooey love, but a strong love that always guards and protects us. Humans often marvel at the love of marriage, you know, until death do us part. Some say such a lifelong promise is too hard to keep. But this God love is way different. The scope of his love is extraordinary. It's limitless, eternal. Next, the passage says, God forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And most of us would say amen to that, right? Like the bad guys shouldn't win, right? God can forgive them, but don't ask me to, is what most people would say. 
Many people think this outrageous idea of forgiveness started with Jesus, but it can be seen throughout the whole Bible. The word in Exodus 34 for forgiveness is the Hebrew word nasa, meaning to lift up and take away. Now, an interesting side note, the other NASA that you might know, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration in the USA, also lifts things up and takes them away. But I digress. This word picture in Exodus is also a signpost pointing to the forgiveness Jesus won for us all on the cross, upon which he was lifted up. These three words, wickedness, rebellion, Sin described the extent of human depravity. Wickedness meaning extremely bad behaviour without conscience. Rebellion meaning to break the law or to enact a crime. And sin meaning to miss the mark, to fall short of God's standard for human flourishing. The point here is that Yahweh forgives sins of all shapes and sizes. Now, scholar Douglas Stewart in his commentary on the book of Exodus said, God is eager to forgive sins. It is a manifestation of his character. Next, the passage says, He does not leave the guilty unpunished. In other words, Yahweh is forgiving by nature, but he's also just and he's no fool. He doesn't turn a blind eye. Not to those who don't think they need forgiveness, nor to those who don't care about their actions or their consequences. God doesn't ignore these unrepentant actions. And this is a good thing, because God's end goal is a world without evil in all its forms. His justice is not about retribution or a vendetta, but the healing and renewal of the world. That's why, as I've said before, God is not rigid or inflexible. To those who repent, he responds with mercy. But to those who reject him, his justice will be served. He will not rest until dictators, slave traders, racists, mass murderers, school shooters and misogynists are dealt with. He won't rest until anxiety and depression and mental illness, divorce, family violence are done away with. How do we know that? Well, God sent his son Jesus, who died and rose again to defeat death and the power of sin in human hearts. That war has been won. But our battles continue until Jesus returns to earth to bring God's ultimate fulfilment of his cosmic plan. Meantime, we all crave justice, especially for those who sin against us or our loved ones. The wicked, rebellious and unrepentant may think they've gotten away with their sins, but God's final judgment is yet to come. Well, next is that verse. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents. What can this possibly mean? Well, it can't mean what it looks like at face value because we know in other parts of the Bible, God says the exact opposite. 
And let me refer you to Deuteronomy 24, where God says, Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must die for their own crimes. So what can the Exodus verses mean? Well, as is often the case with the Bible, there are layers of meaning. The first layer, the sins of parents have consequences for their children's future. Now, this we know to be true. If parents commit crimes and go to prison, their kids grow up deprived of family and all it provides. If parents divorce, kids suffer the fallout, grief, trust issues, insecurity, economic strain, messy sharing of time, etc., etc. In other words, when parents sin, kids are collateral damage. The second layer is sin often runs in the family. We often think of kids as innocents, you know, as clean slates, but they're not. All humans are born with a sinful nature, and every kid is born into a family with baggage of some kind. I was born into a family that had a long history of alcoholism for men and women. My parents were loving and not abusive. But my immediate family was severely impacted by some in the wider family who were. It often led to economic strains, family violence and police involvement. And many, many times my parents had to step in and help them financially, legally, and in other ways that impacted upon them, it impacted on me and my brother and sister. We couldn't escape the family dysfunction. Sin often runs in a family. The final layer is Yahweh will continue to deal with sin in every generation until it is eradicated. In other words, just because God deals with our parents' problems doesn't mean we go unpunished for our own, drinking or gambling or domestic violence or whatever. In fact, the passage says God deals with sin to the third and fourth generation. That's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Yikes! But there is a better perspective on this which can help our sensitive modern ears understand what was being said. God holds us all accountable for our own sins, which not only affect us, but our family, and can go down to the third and fourth generation. God will deal with all unrepentant people in order to eradicate sin. And some of those people have parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Some of those people are you and me. I'm a child. I'm a grandchild. I'm a great-grandchild. I'm also a father and a grandfather. In fact, I come from a long line of people who are sinners. So the thing is, I am included in the phrase children, as I am now. And no one would suggest that I shouldn't be held accountable for what I do. Remember I said at the start of this talk, the aspect of God we are glimpsing today is amazing. 
Well, here it is. Here's the amazing bit. Sin is generational, but forgiveness is eternal. Sin is generational, but forgiveness is eternal. I want you to see the scale of this. Unresolved sin can affect families to third and fourth generation, but God's love and mercy extends to thousands of generations. Now, demographers will tell you that a generation is all those born and living in a 20 to 30 year period of time. So while unrepentant sin can affect maybe 120 years, God's love and mercy extends beyond 30,000 years. Wow. And God's love and mercy is not graded on a curve. It's, it's not rationed. It's not proportional. What is being noted here in Exodus, and which is echoed throughout the Bible, is God's love and mercy are limitless. The Apostle James says it this way, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, let me close today by stating the obvious. Yahweh is forgiving, but sin is not. I'm going to say that again. Yahweh is forgiving, but sin is not. Sin is merciless, petty, cruel, unjust, selfish, and destructive. And our sin, yours and mine, has consequences. Unless. The human story is that we are all incapable of changing and becoming sinless. No one can overcome the end game of the human condition on their own. Unless Jesus. He came into a culture that believed sacrifice was needed to overcome sin. So he made the ultimate sacrifice for all our sakes on the cross. So that if we repent, believe and follow him, we are forgiven and the power of sin is broken. We become empowered by his spirit to change our ways and to restore relationships and to live holy and effective lives for his sake. And to be clear, for those that don't understand why God would choose this way of dealing with sin, the Heavenly Father wasn't angry with his son. He was angry with evil. And Jesus is angry with evil. So the cross is the Heavenly Father and the Son working together to bring mercy and justice together to absorb the world's sin, yours and mine, and release life through the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the real power of the cross means we can change the trajectory of our lives and our family's lives here and now with Jesus. We can bring our sin to Jesus, repent and watch the bondage fall away to his forgiveness, to have the curse of sin broken, to have the line stop with us. And that's my story. God's anger against evil 
is as relentless as his forgiveness is limitless. As it's recorded in Psalm 103, for his unfailing love towards us is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to a thousand generations.